I just keep thinking about what Jesse said and just the the Barna research that there are very few, whether it's preachers, pastors, evangelists, uh, teachers within the church that have a biblical worldview, that hold the truth that the Word of God is the, our source, our only source of absolute truth. It, it's heartbreaking, but it shouldn't be a surprise. According to what Jesus said, we, we read it there in Matthew 7. And I was just thinking about, but before we get into our sermon in Romans 6 today, just the, the exhortation that the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy, this, this was the last writing, time-wise, uh, for the Apostle Paul. He would soon go to be the, with the Lord. And this is some of the last things he said to encourage and exhort Timothy. And he gave him this. It, it's uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's what we need, isn't it? I pray that that is a huge part of why we we have come and why we're here, so that we can delve into the Word of God, so that it would be there for us, it would be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17 gives the reason that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then if you go in chapter 4, verse 2 through 5, here's the... Ex- Exhortation that I, that I take personally. Preach the Word. It's all I have. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The Word of God from beginning to end is profitable. And it is true. And from beginning to end, we can pull out and see the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, let's, let's go now into Romans. Romans, 6th chapter. I'm going to begin in verse 1. We will not get out of 1 and 2 today, but what I want to do today, since this is our first Sunday into chapter 6, we're going to read down through verse 14. That gives us what I believe, and many others believe, is the first complete thought or section of this chapter. It is it is usually thought to be broken down into, into two sections, 1 through 14, and then 15 to the end of the chapter. 
So let's take the whole thought today, because we will be pulling from uh, several of these verses, even as we're looking at verses 1 and 2. So I'll be reading from the New King James Version. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also." Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as as we come now to your word, I, I just say, word of God, speak. Let your Holy Spirit move among us. Lord, you know each heart here. Give each one the understanding that they need from your word. Lord, we we are we are at all different points in our sanctification and our maturity. So Lord, you speak by your spirit. And Lord, help me to have clarity. Help me to not get sidetracked. Help me, Lord, not to get on a soapbox and help me to just get out of the way and let you move and let you speak. Keep me from error, I pray. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. At verse 1 in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Well, say to what? That's that's what you need to ask. Say to what, Paul? Well, say to all that Paul has said thus far, and in particular what he has just said in what we know as chapter 5. And, and keep in mind, just, just a reminder, chapter marks and verse marks weren't put in until, what, 1600s or something like that. I, I, I don't have that exact 
but somewhere like that. So this was a letter. This was a written letter. It was all in one form. It just kept going and going. But we have these uh, chapters and verses that, that we can go to that we, we can pinpoint uh, specific things. But here he is saying, What shall we say then and say to what has already been said that having been justified by grace through faith, we have peace with God. Remember that. That we have access into this grace in which we stand as a born again believer in Christ. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul's emphasis has been on justification by grace through faith apart from works of the law. He taught this in Romans 5 verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. In other words, our union with Adam brought us condemnation because of his disobedience. And our union with Christ, for those who are born again, brings us justification because of his obedience. This is grace. This is amazing grace. This is abounding grace. We talked of this last week. This is super abounding grace. Infinite grace beyond measure. Grace that can never be diminished by anything, by sin, by anything. Even through one man's obedience, righteous act, the free gift came, resulting in justification of life. It is Christ's obedience, not ours, that is the ground of our justification. Do we get that? It is Christ's obedience and not my obedience that is the grounds of my justification. I I hope we get that because I believe this is what Paul keeps coming back to and keeps wanting to affirm over and over. Our justification does not rest on our getting saved and then doing works of righteousness to stay saved, to keep our position in Christ, to keep us worthy of heaven. No, our justification is of the grace of God, the free gift of Christ. God reckons us righteous and accepts us and keeps us, not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but because of deeds done by Christ in righteousness through one man's righteous act, not our righteous acts. Do do we get that? It It is Christ. It is grace. Titus 3, 4 through 7. We read this quite often. But, but I hope as we're going through this, that when we go to passages like this in Titus, that it rings all the more true as Paul interweaves all this together throughout his letters. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us 
through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is him, it is him. In Romans 3, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. We are not saved by good works, and we are not kept by our good works. It is all grace from beginning to end. It is all grace from justification to glorification. It is grace. Do, do we understand that? Can we get a grip on that? Can we, child of God, do you understand your position in Christ before God the Father? See, Paul wants the believers in Rome and, and for us to know that our hope of glory is guaranteed, that it is secure, that it is a certainty. Romans 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Secure, you see, secure in Christ. Now, Romans 5, verse 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, in Christ we are no longer under the reign of sin and death. We are under the reign of grace. Our future guaranteed. We have a certainty, our hope of glory. So I, I hope every born-again believer can get a firm grip on that. That's who you are. Not because of anything you have done, but by the mercy and grace of God. That's your position now. That's your identity. And then we have but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, we talked about how Paul, throughout his writing, sees the objections. You know, from our viewpoint, it's almost like before they are asked. But we don't know all that went on as he traveled. He had objections upon objections upon objections. He knew. He knew, he knew what people were thinking and what they were going to ask. And so Paul anticipates an objection and he takes up the question immediately so as to make it clear once and for all. And what would the objection be? It would go something like this. Well, Paul, if you tell me that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, does it not follow that the more I sin, the more I shall know of the grace of God. Wouldn't grace shine all the brighter if we just kept on sinning? The more sin there is, the more forgiveness there is. And the more sinning there is, then greater must be the righteousness of Christ to compensate for it. If sin is going to be conquered by grace, let us keep on sinning. Sin doesn't matter. See, there's the objection. It was an objection in Paul's day, and you know what? It's still an objection for us today. People perverting 
the Word of God, the grace of God, so that they might justify their sinful lifestyles. Jude said it this way in in Jude verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. Now let me pause there for just a moment. Uh, the King James Version says lasciviousness. It's, a, it's, it's from the same root word as licentious, if, you, if you've heard that word. It, it, in the ESV is translated sensuality. It means indecency. It's an absence of moral restraint. A person who is lascivious thinks only of satisfying their own lust. In other words, sin that grace may abound. Do you understand? Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. See, these are the thoughts, the things that come from the heart of evil men. Jesus said this in Mark 7, verse 21 and 22. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness. There's that that word again, lasciviousness. An evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Abundantly above infinitely more. That verse 1 again, Romans 6. Well, shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, that word continue is very important. Shall we continue in sin? Now, the, the Greek word for continue, epimeno, carries the thought of a habitual persistence. It is also used of a person's purposely living in a certain place and of making it their permanent residence. Continue in sin. Make sin continual and persistent to make sin my permanent dwelling place. Do you see what it's saying when it says, shall we continue in sin? This is going to come up later. I'll bring this up a little bit later. So, shall we say then, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul immediately gives his answer in verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Certainly not. The ESV says, by no means, NESB, may it never be. Now, if you have King James, it says, God forbid. Now, the word God is not in here. In the Greek, it's not. The, the translators added it. And, and the reason they added it is that they wanted to point out the strong emphasis of the statement. So they, so they put it in there. God forbid. So that we would get the strength of it. You see. But I just wanted you to know that, that it's, it's not actually in there. 
And, and the phrase, you know, whether it is certainly not, by no means may it never be, God forbid, that the phrase is the strongest Greek word for denial, for repudiation in the entire New Testament. And Paul uses it nine times in the book of Romans. <laughs> it carries the sense of outrage that an idea of this kind could ever be thought of as true. It's unthinkable. It's inconceivable. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've got a couple of quotes from him today. Here's the first. You know, a lot of times I'll read Lloyd-Jones and it's, it, I don't know, it's just far beyond me. And other times I can read and I go, oh my goodness, no, no one has said it better than Lloyd-Jones. And listen, what is the business of grace? Is it to allow us to continue in sin? No. It is to deliver us from the bondage and the reign of sin and to put us under the reign of grace. So when a man asks, shall we therefore continue in sin that grace may abound, he is merely showing that he has failed to understand either the tyranny of the reign of sin or the whole object and purpose of grace and its marvelous reign over those who are saved. Or, to put it positively, a man who really understands justification, its meaning and its purpose, will never think like that and will never speak like that. But I want to put it even more strongly, a man who is justified and who is under the reign of grace cannot think like that, still less act like that. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We, being who we are in Christ, how is it possible or even conceivable that we should continue in sin that grace may abound? We being such as we are, can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? The whole emphasis is on our uniqueness, our special position, we being who we are. That is what makes the question in verse 1 so unthinkable. If you truly realize who you are and what your position is, this question that has been raised automatically goes out. In other words... The real trouble with Christian people who do not understand the doctrine of justification by grace through faith is that they do not realize who and what they are. They do not realize their position. We being what we are and who we are, can such people as we live any longer to sin? End quote. That's what I'm saying. We have to understand who we are in Christ. To have a firm understanding of that. To have a firm understanding that it is by grace. What shall separate us from the hand of God? Of the love of God? Nothing. What shall pluck us from His hand? There is no power that can do that. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have been made more than conquerors. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. James Boyce said it this way. Listen. Quote. Therefore if we find it possible. To go on sinning. So that grace may increase. We only prove by our actions. That we are not really saved. See Boyce gets to. He gets to a heart of things. Doesn't he? Let me read it again. Therefore if we find it possible. 
to go on sinning so that grace may increase, we only prove by our actions that we are not really saved. It is as simple and as strong as that. We died to sin, Paul says. How can we live in it any longer? End quote. Now, now I would perhaps not go as strong as Boyce, but I would be so bold as to say, as the Apostle Paul said, that perhaps you need to examine yourself. Perhaps you're in momentary sin. But because of that, it's time for examination. You know, 2 Corinthians 13.5 is, is where we get that. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? In other words, do you know that you are in Christ? And if you're saved and you know and you can say without a shadow of a doubt, yes, I am in Christ, then be who you are and act like who you are and trust in the Word of God as a child of God should, you see. that This is all that Paul keeps coming back to. Live out who you are. See, see, Peter, uh, we could chime in with Peter, remember where he said, make your call and election sure. You know, it's the same as Paul saying, examine yourself. Peter's saying the same thing. Make your call and election sure. Now, let's go back to Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Are you still with me? Say amen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We who died to sin. Now, this is pointing back to an act, an event that happened once. Now, stay with me here. This death is a one-time occurrence. Paul here is not talking about a process. He is not talking about a daily Dying, but rather something that has happened in our, I'm going to say experience, and don't be afraid to use the word experience. I know the, the word of faith, we sometimes we shiver when we hear that word experience, but we have, if we are in Christ, we have experienced some wonderful and great things, have we not? So don't be afraid of that word. Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. We have been united together with Christ in His death. Christ died once. Once for all. So we have been united together with Christ in His death. For the true born-again believer, justified believer, there is this union with Christ. And 1 Corinthians one. 30. But of him, and this is of God, uh, ESV or the NSB says, of God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You are in Christ Jesus, a union with Christ. His death becomes our death, His righteousness becomes our righteousness. In Romans 6, 6. Knowing that your old, knowing this, that your old man was crucified with him. 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The, the old man, the old sinful enemy of God that we all once were, crucified with Christ. We died in Christ. Crucified with Christ, where am I going next? Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul speaking. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. When Christ died, God counted the old sinful me as dying with Him. Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So I believe Paul makes it clear that the death we die, in verse 2, we who died in sin, is the death of Christ. We have died with Christ. Uh, Romans 7, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have been become... You, let me start again. Romans 7, verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to Him who was raised from the dead, that you should bear fruit to God. So we, we, we have been united through the death of Christ, through the body of Christ. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, and who's the one? That's Christ. If one died for all, then all died. All who are in Christ, all died. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer to themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. So our union with Christ and His death, and also His resurrection, which we'll perhaps talk about next Sunday. Through our union with Adam came death and condemnation. Through union with Christ, and now listen, I'm going to say it this way, also came death, but justification and eternal life. Did that come out okay? How did that hit your ear when I said that? Because we have died in Christ. So in Adam, sin and death and condemnation. In Christ, death, justification, eternal life in Christ. Let's go back to those two verses again. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. I, I hope, I hope the Holy Spirit is making this sensible, or not sensible, but truthful for you. In the midst of this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We can't. You see that? We can't. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. We can't. Now wait a minute, preacher. See, here's the objection that I know some would have. What are you saying? Is Paul teaching perfectionism? 
That once you are saved, you never sin anymore. Is that what he's preaching? Listen, Paul is not saying that we cannot commit sin. He is saying that we cannot live in it. Does that make a difference to you? We're going to talk about it. He's not saying that we cannot commit a sin. He is saying that we can no longer live in sin. Remember, remember, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we make sin our continue, continual dwelling place? No, certainly not. It cannot be our practice of life. Understand. Can't live in it. See, if we have been united with Christ, we cannot go on with an unchanged pattern of sin in our lives. Evidence that we are saved is that we are changed. Look at Romans 6, 6 once again. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. We died. We died. And, and, and do you see why I kept saying this is a one-time event that happened in our past? We died in Christ. We died. The body, the old man died. That the body of sin might be done away with. The reign of sin and death done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, now listen. In Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. No, sin no longer is our slave master. Well, uh, Romans six fourteen. For sin shall not have dominion over you, shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. You see, being freed from the mastery or enslavement or dominion of sin is not the same as being sin, sinlessly perfect. Do we understand that? I believe Paul makes this clear by what he says in uh, verses 11, 12, and 13. You can put them all up there, and I'm just going to pull pieces out of it. Here, Listen to what Paul says. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. You see, if we were in a state of constant sinless perfection, why would Paul say these things? You see? If Paul meant sinless perfection in verses 1 and 2, why would he say, reckon yourselves to be dead? Why would he say, don't let sin reign? Why would he say, don't keep presenting the members of your body to sin because he knows we still sin. But it's momentary. We are in an ongoing battle with sin in our Christian walk. Even though we have died to sin and therefore cannot live in it or continue in sin, we can sin and we do sin. And don't let anybody try to tell you otherwise. And there are people that are out there that will say so. What's the word? Antimonianism? Uh, something like that. Yes, it's a, a sinless perfection that they think. And, and I'm going to get to a verse here, here in a minute that then we'll talk about that. 
As believers, we must lay hold of who we are in Christ and of what has happened to us in our union with Christ and confirm it in our daily living and reckon ourselves dead to sin, not letting sin reign in our mortal bodies and of not presenting the members of our body to sin. How often do we read in the particularly the, the letters of Paul that, that we to fight the good fight of faith? That we are to resist the devil. That, that all of these things. Because we are still in a battle as we live. Let's look at uh, John 8, the words of Christ, verse 34 through 36. And, and we're going to put this up. It's going to be in the ESV. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We've talked about this throughout the years. What's that practice sin? That means that's their practice of life. They have made sin their permanent dwelling place. They continue in sin. Do you get, is all this coming together? The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do we get? Do we grasp the fullness of that passage in considering what we have considered this morning? The slave, the slave to sin, does not remain in the house, but the Son, the child of God, remains, because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Redeemed. Purchased. See, some people have the wrong interpretation of 1 John 3, 9. And perhaps some of you knew that's where we were going to go. Uh, let's put that up. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. Because he has been born of God. I've had conversations with a few who, who take this verse and they make a doctrine out of it that as a born again believer, they do not sin any longer. But they say that you can attain to sinless perfection. That you can reach such a degree of perfection in this life that you do not sin at all. Kind of puts it in your hands when you look at it that way, doesn't it? What have I kept saying over and over again? It's all grace. It's all grace. It's not your doing that saved you. It's not your doing that keeps you. It's not your doing or not doing that's going to give you entrance into heaven. It's grace. It's all grace. So, if someone has that thought and tries to tell you about it, there's only one, one right response. That's not true. Just say it. That's not true. ESV. Let's get a little bit better translation of it. No one born of God makes a, what? Practice of sinning. 
For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Do you see? Make sin his permanent dwelling place. Habitual. That's all they do. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. See, John is agreeing with Paul. John is saying that someone who is born of God cannot go on abiding in the realm of sin. He cannot keep on practicing sin. That cannot be. Do we sin at times? Yes, even as a born-again child of God. But it is it continual, persistent, habitual practice. If it is, then you need to examine yourselves as to whether or not you are in the faith. Now, I, I want to read once again from Lloyd-Jones. And it was so lengthy, so hang on. I didn't take the time to type it out into my notes. Just put a reference. As best you can, stay with me through this. And I'll try to read it as if it's me preaching it. Quote, Let me use an illustration that I have often used and which has helped me and which I have found in my pastoral work has helped many others. Think again of the problem. How can I say that I am delivered from the rule and the realm and the reign of the devil and of sin when I still fall to temptation? Look at it in this way. Think of two fields with a road between them. The field on the left represents the dominion, the kingdom, the territory, and empire of sin and of Satan. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Now, this was uh, back in the 50s. Did, did, did it catch you? The field on the left represents the dominion, the kingdom, the territory, the empire of, sa- of sin and of Satan. That is where we all were by our natural birth. All born into sin because of Adam. But as the result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us and upon us through the Holy Spirit, we have been taken hold of and transferred to the field on the right of the road. Delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. I was there on the left and I am now here on the right. Yes, but I spent many a long year in the first field. And the devil is still there with all his powers and forces. This is a picture of what often happens. As a Christian, I am here in the new field and Satan cannot touch me. As we are told in John's first epistle, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, that evil one toucheth him not. He cannot touch us because we are no longer in his kingdom. He cannot touch us, but he can shout across the road to us. Every Christian who falls into sin is a fool. The devil cannot touch us. Then why do we listen to him? Why do we allow him to frighten us? Why do we pay any attention to him? We no longer belong to him and he cannot touch us. We know that scripture asserts our freedom as an actual fact. 
But because of the old habit, the old influence, like the slaves that had been set free, we tend to forget. And when He speaks to us, we listen to Him and fall under His spell. We should resist Him. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we fail to realize it. The whole object of the apostle in the sixth chapter of Romans is to get us to realize it. Reckon yourselves to be dead and to sin. You are therefore to realize it, to reckon it. Realize also that you are alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is it is not true yet, perhaps in your experience, but though it is not yet true in your experience, it is a matter of fact. We have got to believe it. That is why the Apostle writes in this way. This is not a matter of experience primarily. He is dealing with a matter of fact. He says you died to sin as a matter of historical fact. When you become a Christian, you cease to be under the rule and the reign and the realm of sin. That is a fact. He is not talking about your experience. He is telling you something that is true of you. Namely, that you have been translated by the Holy Spirit from one kingdom to another. But I cannot believe that, says someone. It is too staggering. It, it is almost incredible. Here I am on earth. And I listen to that voice of Satan and fall into sin. And yet you tell me that I am dead to it. You are. And I ask you to believe it. I know it's staggering. But believe the word of God. Whatever you may feel. Whatever your experience may be. God tells us here through his word. That if you, if we are in Christ, we are no longer in Adam. We are no longer under the reign and rule of sin. We are in Christ. And we are under the rule and reign of grace. And where sin abounded, grace hath much more <laughs> abounded. And will. I died to the realm and the rule of sin when I became a Christian. And I am dead to it now. And if I fall into it as I do, it is simply because I do not realize who I am. We being what we are, realize it, reckon it. You are under the rule and reign of grace, and therefore you shall not, you cannot go on living in sin. End quote. I'm just going to ask it this way today. Do you know who you are? Have you been transferred, translated from the field on the left to the field on the right? Are you still under the dominion and rule of Satan? Or have you been translated by the blood of Christ into the kingdom and the realm of grace? This comes down to, it's one of the two. There's no middle. There's no other option. You're either here or you're there. In other words, are you saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, no other way. I ask it so often, do you believe? Oh, sure, yeah, 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 sure. Well, are you bearing fruit of righteousness in your life? Or are you still abiding in the realm of sin and disobedience? It's your permanent dwelling place. Oh, you can say with your lips, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I believe. 
the, the demons believe, and yet they, what? Tremble. Why would they tremble? Because they know they're in. They know what's coming. They know the Word of God is true. Is your belief a belief unto true salvation by grace through faith? Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I like what Jesus said, John 5 verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me, who sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. In other words, transferred from the, the, the realm of sin and death into the realm of eternal life. That's what Paul keeps saying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray just by the truth of Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit that You have ministered to everyone today and to those who may listen at a later time even. Lord, help us all to know where we stand. Are we still in the realm, the dominion of sin and death held captive by Satan? Or have we, by grace, through faith, been justified through the blood of Jesus Christ? Lord, help everyone to know, to know where they stand. Father, for the true believer, help them to get a firm grip on who they are. And Lord, help, help us that it will change the way we live and our attitude toward so many things when we know that we, we are in the realm of grace. Not that we should have an attitude. We cannot have an attitude. Well, I'll just sin so that grace may abound. No, we can't do that. But we also know that from time to time we listen to the wrong voice and we are tempted and we fall. But we know that through grace and by grace that that fall is temporary. Is not, it is not unto death. Because we have been saved by grace. We are being kept by grace. We will one day be glorified by grace. It's all grace. And Lord, we are most thankful. So, Father, help us to live out who we are. Help us to not listen to the voice of Satan tempt us to a multitude of things. Whether it's the sin of worry and anxiety or a sin of covetousness, the, the sin of lust, whatever it may be. Father, help us to 
reckon ourselves dead to that because we are. Help me, Father, to live out who I am in Christ. Lord, should there be one who is still in the realm of sin and death under the dominion of Satan, I pray, Lord, that by Your grace and mercy that You would perform a miracle of regeneration, of salvation. That You would open their eyes, call them from their condition of death into life. Just like Lazarus being called out of the grave, Lord, call them. Lord, grant them faith that they might believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, upon seeing You and Your holiness, they see their sin and they tremble before You. And Lord, show them the rescue that is through Christ our Lord. Show them the rescue through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, just grant them repentance as they would confess their sin to You and would turn from their sin and follow Christ. So Lord, have mercy. And Father, help us that we would continually look to You in all our ways, acknowledge You, and You will direct our paths. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God the Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, in every good word and work. Amen. Amen.